0: We continue this morning our unexpected series as we're, we're just sort of seeing the unexpected Christ. Have you ever met somebody and you thought they were one way and sort of behind the scenes you got, got a different view of them? I remember our gridiron speaker uh, last year, former LSU coach uh, Les Miles, you know, on the stage he was uh, sort of what we expected, pretty scattered, a little bit crazy, you didn't quite know where he's going. I'm so sorry, Tim Lee. I know this is your birthday, I know you don't like that. But behind the scenes, he was just the most personable, easy, engaging person. You just you just love being with him. You know, um, you just love spending time with him. And he just was sort of uh, unexpected. When we were taking into the airport, he says, uh, I, "I just got to tell you, you and Tim, I, I got to tell you that you know, Montgomery's my second favorite city I've ever been to." And here's the way he named it, Chicago number one, Montgomery number two. You think anybody else in the world has ever said that? I thought that was pretty crazy. And and you just like him. I called him about a month ago on the phone. I said, Coach, I said, we're still looking for a sports minister at Landmark. He said, well, buddy, I could help you with football. I could probably be some help in basketball, but I would be no good at soccer, so you may not want to hire me. He's just that kind of guy. And you go, wow, I'm so glad I got behind the scenes and saw what he was like. It was unexpected. And when we come to Jesus today, he is so, and please, I'm not comparing Les Miles and Jesus, okay? He said some unexpected words too. But when we come to Jesus, he's just sort of blowing the disciples away because he's so unexpected. You know, we left them last week in in this boat. They've been in the middle of a storm. They're drenched wet, And, and Jesus has calmed the storm, and they're terrified because they finally recognize this is no prophet, no faith healer, this is God. And then we keep reading the story, and Jesus asked them, who do, who do you say I am? And Peter gets this one right, he says, you're the Son of God, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus says, hi hey guys, I am the Messiah, but this Messiah will die on a cross. That was not expected. So Peter rebukes him. Jesus, you're being paranoid here. Messiah, we, we expect you to be on the throne in Jerusalem, not on a cross outside of Jerusalem. And then Jesus is really tense with Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So he's so unexpected. And today I want us to talk about how we deal with those unexpected turns in life. Here are your first blanks. Both the disciples and Jesus struggle. First of all, with Jesus being this unexpected Messiah, it blows their mind that the Messiah will be killed. What they have dreamt about their whole life? What they have visualized is that the Messiah would come, run the Romans out, set up a throne in Jerusalem, and everything would be cool. And this is not what Jesus does. Now, here's what I want you to see in our story today that may be a little surprising. I think we also see the humanity of Jesus in the story. I think there's a consistent temptation in Jesus' life is that he struggles to face the cross. We, we saw that in the wilderness. That was, that was Satan's temptation. You don't have to go to the way of the cross. Bow down to me and I'll make you king. You can take the easy way. We see that when the crowds want to crown him king. We see this in this story. I, I, I always wonder, why was Jesus so abrupt with Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Not a nice thing to say to somebody. I think partly because Peter deserved it. I think partly because this is the temptation that Jesus struggles with. And then we obviously see him in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's wrestling with, God, is there another way than the cross? And so we see Jesus' humanity and its fullness here. To this point in the story, Jesus' divinity has concealed his humanity. And so he's struggling and they're struggling. And and then they struggle even more with this unexpected lifestyle. Because after Jesus tells them that he's going to die on a cross, then he tells them that they've got to die on a cross. Look at Luke chapter 9 verse, verse 23. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. It's an unexpected lifestyle. You see, their expectations is that Jesus is going to be king, and at a minimum, they're going to be the vice president or at least cabinet level. And Jesus says, nothing like that's going to happen. I'm not going to be a worldly king. I'm going to be a spiritual king, and you're not going to be vice presidents or cabinet members. Actually, you're going to be janitors. It's this upside-down kingdom, and they don't know how to handle this. So here's what we see, and maybe you need this today yourself. Both the disciples and Jesus need to see, we'd say in our vernacular, the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe you've been working on a big school project that's just overwhelming you, or a big project at work that's taken you months, and finally, you know, you, you see your way through it, Then you say to your coworker, worker your student, your, your, your friend, you know what, this has really been tough, but I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and that motivates you to finish And and Jesus right here is in the middle of his life. And the disciples are in the middle trying to figure him out. And they need to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Go to Luke chapter 9 with me. We're going to start in verse 28, and we're just going to walk through verse by verse. And I want you to see the story of the Mount of Transfiguration in its context. Uh, Look at verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter John and James with him and went up unto a mountain to pray. Th- this is what I'm seeing here. In the midst of this confusion God says I want to call you into my office. And if you read the Bible closely God's office seems always to be a mountain that's where he reveals himself. Reminds me of my best buddy in Pensacola. We lived there. He was an older man named T.C. Barnes, and he was just the character of that church. Loved him to death. But any time he didn't like what I preached on, he would come by the door in the back, and he would say, young man, come to my office right now, which happened to be anywhere in the auditorium that he could corner me and let me have it, all right? And God says right now, I don't want to let you have it. I want to reveal something to you on this mountain. Keep reading, verse 29. Two men, oh no, verse 29. As he was praying, that's Jesus, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Because what happens here is Jesus is transfigured into the resurrected body. And and, and Luke says it's, it's so bright, it's like a flash of lightning. We've seen a lot of that lately, haven't we? those dark skies at night man just goes it just it's so bright and matthew tries to describe it this way his face was as bright as the sun mark says he's dazzling white whiter than anything you could bleach and so jesus is is transfigured in this moment in his glorious splendor look at verse 30 two men moses and elijah appeared in glorious splendor talking with jesus This is so cool, guys. you got Moses, the great lawgiver, Elijah, the great prophet, and Jesus. And they're all glowing. They already have their glorious new bodies, and Jesus is having his right now. And and so they they have this discussion. What's so cool to me is here is Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, and the fulfillment of prophecy in the midst of these two great men. Look at verse 31, they spoke about his departure. Crazy word here. The word in the original language is they talked about his exodus. You think Moses might have something to say about an exodus? And he was about to bring to fulfill, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Jesus is, is about to turn the corner to walk to the cross. And, and here's what I see. God sent Moses and Elijah to give Jesus a pep rally. These guys who've been through so much, they're here to buck Jesus up. They're here to say, Jesus, you can make it. You can do it. That's what Jesus needed. He needed a mountaintop moment. And God gave it to him. But so did his disciples. Look at verse 32. Peter and his companions were very sleepy when they became fully awake They saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Isn't that crazy? Maybe like some of you right now, struggling to stay awake. They don't just struggle, they fall asleep. I mean, what a scene to fall asleep in. And when they wake up, I don't know if it blinded their eyes, the brightness was so crazy, but they they, they become fully awake. And and somehow, I don't know how, they knew it was Moses and Elijah. My my best guess is like any good church, they were wearing name tags, all right? And, And so people knew who they were. But they know it, and Peter gets quite excited. Now, the key phrase there in verse 32 is they saw his glory. Guys, the word glory in the Hebrew language means heavy, weighty, important. Here's what's going on here. The humanity of Jesus somewhat has concealed the divinity of Jesus. And in this story, they see him in his full, glorious divinity. They see all the glory. It, it, it's weighty. It's impactful. And so, as the men were leaving Jesus, Moses, Elijah, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us build three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. I imagine Peter did not appreciate Dr. Luke putting that in the text. Would you? I mean, you say something gets in the Bible and they put behind it. He's crazy. He didn't know what he's talking about. But but did you notice here? what What is Peter saying here? This is incredible. Man, we got Jesus, Moses, and Elijah talking about big time preachers. Let's build some three shelters and let's just camp out here. This mountaintop glorious moment, I don't want it to end. But. It has to. So while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Now, friends, it is not a good sign when a cloud envelops you in the Bible. That, that normally means you've done something to get in trouble, all right? So here they are on the mountain. Peter's blurted out this, you know, this sophomoric, you know, comment, and then a cloud forms around them. And then verse 35, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. Not Moses, not Elijah, they don't even compare. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. Nobody compares to Jesus. Now, I think a couple things are happening there. There's only three times in the Gospels where we hear the voice of God. I think Jesus needed to hear his father's voice. I think he needed to hear the same thing he heard his baptism. This is my boy. This is my son. I'm pleased with him. And the disciples needed God to confirm to them that this is my son. This is no ordinary man. And so they end up with Jesus and Jesus alone. So I want to talk about this for a moment. What did they experience that was so needful? They experienced the coming glory of God. This scene is so glorious. The gospel writers are searching for words to describe it. Is it the sun? Is it lightning? Is it bleach? And so what they needed in the middle of life being challenging, in the middle of a cross for Jesus and a cross for them, Jesus, in the middle of going to this cross, they all needed this this mountaintop experience. And here's the lesson that Jesus is trying to get across. Here's the lesson. The way of the cross leads to glory. Uh, maybe this is a better way to put it for you. The road to glory passes through the tunnel of suffering. I, I'm sure I'm talking to some people today that you're suffering. Life's not what you expected. It's been very unexpected. And God needs to bring you up to this mountain just for a moment to see his glory. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said about this in Romans chapter 8. He says in verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed, listen, we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. And hey, listen to what Paul says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. My friends, when you see the glory that one day will be, you can handle the momentary sufferings here. So here's what I want to talk about to close. For you and I to thrive in what we described last week is this already but not yet age, what do we need to do? Because when I was growing up, here's sort of the message I heard. Uh, this life is difficult, it's pretty rough, it's sort of a bum rap, but one day we got heaven. So here's the goal. The goal is between now and heaven just suffer your way through it. Just, just you know, one day it's going to be okay, but this world is pretty rough. And just, no, I want to say to you today, God does not want you simply to survive the issues of life. He wants you to thrive. I'm not saying it's easy, but that's what he wants for you. Now, what do we learn from this encounter that would help us? Number one, you must find fulfillment in losing your life. Now, please don't come up to me after church and say, fulfillment is misspelled, okay? I purposely misspelled it because I want you to understand the intention of the word. The intention of the word is that I become full. That as I'm living in this in between world that's not so easy, that I'm saved and not yet saved, I'm redeemed but not completely redeemed, I'm adopted but waiting on my future adoption, what do I do in between? Listen to Luke 9, verse 24. After Jesus told these guys that they're going to go to a cross, here's what he said. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, key words, for me, will save it. The first time I heard that, it sounded like a contradiction. How about you? But let me actually tell you this. The first time you live it, it will sound like the truth. Because Jesus is saying, if you try to save your life, if you try to make you the focus of your being, and everybody around you hovers around you, and and what you're looking at is, do they recognize me? Do they speak to me? Do they encourage me? Do they appreciate me? How do they treat me? And your day is held hostage by how the people at school or work or the team you are on or even here at church, how they treat you. That's quite miserable. But Jesus says, if you'll get over yourself... And you actually do something that sounds radical, you will lose your life. Then the crazy thing happens, you find it. We know that, don't we? You ever had a day where you just got wrapped up in serving somebody? A friend or someone you knew was was having some trouble and, and you just dropped what you had and you just ran and you just took care of them. You wore yourself out. But when you put your head on that pillow that night, you were full. You were fulfilled. Because in that day, somehow in the middle of that, you forgot about yourself. Because our most miserable days are when we're focused on ourselves. Our most wonderful days is when we're focused on other people for Jesus. And so, in between this and there, in this hurting world, we become a part of the answer. You see, our job between now and later is to bring heaven to earth. For people to experience the love and a touch of the transformation that they're going to have one day in heaven. We've been empowered to do that. Then number two, you must foresee full salvation in the life to come. Full salvation. The Bible speaks really odd about salvation. We know in the moment where Jesus became the Lord of our life that we were saved. But there's also a sense that we're not completely saved. Listen to what Peter says in First Peter chapter 1 about trials, through faith you are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. What's he saying? This life is not our destination. There are better days to come. Though in the past maybe we spoke too much of heaven, I would make a case today that we speak too little of heaven. Because it's that hope, of that future glory that keeps us going. That's why this scene happens. I love the song we sang just a few moments ago. One day. Because we're motivated to live today out because we know one day everything's going to be made right. One day when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing it will be. And so we foresee that. And we get excited about that. And then number three, you must feel the full weight of his glory. Let's talk about that one for a moment. What we do need now are some mountaintop moments. I have a friend the other day, I was talking to him, and he had had an encounter with three people he hadn't encountered in a long time. Two brothers and a sister, and they'd they'd had this long conversation and he called me the next day, and he goes, it was so cool talking with those people, man. It was like they were glowing. It was so, I hadn't connected with them. And then when I walked away from that room, man, I felt so fired up, man. I can live off those conversations for a week. And all of us need those moments where we get a glimpse, and that's what God does. The Bible says that that what we experience between here and here." is the first fruits. We we experience a taste. And I guarantee you, if you're looking for it, God is going to give you a taste of the glory to come and you are going to see the full weight of his glory. Now that word again, glory, means importance, heaviness, weight. It's when you and I see the full picture of who Jesus is. Now, We've got an advantage over these guys. These guys are in the middle of the story. We know the story. We know the end. We know about the cross. We know about the resurrection. And guys, your life and my life will be changed when the full weight of the attributes of Jesus blow you away. That's why I'm so excited about the study of, of Luke. I don't know what it's doing for you, but, but it's reminding me of how amazing Jesus is. And please remember this, guys. Jesus is the best picture we have of God. You want to know what God is? Look at Jesus. And I'm seeing this guy that's crazy loving, forgives the unbelievable, accepts the unacceptable people, teaches truth like we read today that makes no sense to the world but makes all the sense in life. Who's willing, a God, this is crazy, a God who's going to be willing to sacrifice his life for people like us who rebelled against him. I mean, I'm just telling you guys, when the full weight of that hits me, it changes me. It's motivating me out of my mind to live for Jesus. I hope it's doing the same for you. You see, we, we took a survey not too long ago, the Reveal survey. and It's given us a lot of good things to talk about. and One Sunday soon, we'll reveal the whole deal. Um, but here's what we found out. There, there are sort of four categories of people in any church. There's the people, like some of you, who are just exploring Christ. That's cool. You're just here to go, I'm not sure about him. I'd like to know a little bit more. But then for most of us, we're either growing in Christ. We've committed our life to him, and we're beginning to grow. That's 39% of us or we're close to Christ, it's now become a personal relationship. That's 32% of us. But then there's that final point that the survey called Christ-centered. And that's just 22% of us. How do they define being Christ-centered? Listen closely. It's when you and I say, my relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship in my life, it guides everything I do. 22% of us can say that. This, this category is also defined by people who live by giving their life away. Now, how do we get there? I want to be there. I don't know about you. When I'm going to give up anything for Jesus, when, when he supersedes every other relationship I have, and he guides every decision that I make. How do we get there? We get there, my friends, not by a guilt trip, not by some commandment. We get there when we finally feel the full heaviness, weight, importance of who Jesus is. When that glory finally affects us to the point where I go, I don't have a choice anymore. I love him. And Jesus, you could tell me anything. And I'd do it. See, friends, when you have that moment, it changes everything. It changed everything for John and Peter. John writes later in John chapter 1, we have seen his glory. Peter writes further down, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It transformed them. This is the coolest part of this sermon to me. We see Peter making that, Crazy, sad statement, let's build three shelters and stay here forever. And God has to rebuke him, and Luke has to point out that he's out of his mind. But here's the coolest part to me. That same guy got it. He finally understood what that mountain experience was about. And he writes this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Guys, don't be shocked when this life is not easy. Listen closely. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed, when His glory is revealed. Go ahead and rejoice now, because one day you're going to be overjoyed. We've seen these disciples move from being terrified to being overjoyed. It's because they saw the glory of God. It's like they could, even in the midst of difficulty, they could see the light at the end of the tunnel. You see, every study says this. You can endure any sickness, rejection, pain in life. There are people that could even endure the Holocaust as long as they had hope. As long as they could see the light at the end of the tunnel. But maybe you come here this morning and you're struggling to see it. Maybe you're like President Lyndon Johnson in the middle of the Vietnam War. Here's what he said, the light at the end of the tunnel, we don't have a tunnel. We don't even know where a tunnel is. Maybe you come to church today and you feel that hopeless. Or maybe the heavy metal band Metallica. I'm really into Metallica. (laughs) I don't even know who they are. Okay. Here's what one of their songs called No Leaf Clover that it comes to be the sun, the soothing light at the end of your tunnel is just a freight train coming your way. Maybe that's what you're anticipating. And today, if you're struggling to see the light at the end of the tunnel, if you are struggling to see that your life could be better, if you're struggling to see past today to see the future glory, If your suffering is overwhelming you, then please let us pray for you today. I would call upon you to be like Moses. When God told Moses to lead this stiff-necked people, Moses wasn't too happy. And finally, he says to God, God, I will step out, but I am not moving an inch until you show me your glory. And maybe today you need to come before the church and let us pray that God would reveal His glory to you so you can make it through what you're making it through. Or maybe today's the day where you have seen the full weight of His glory and has hit you. I mean, it is so heavy on you. I mean, this is Jesus. I mean, He is God. He's amazing. And I'm not living for Him. And I want to live for Him. I want to ask you, what is your next step? I mean, if you today are not overwhelmed by your suffering, but you're overwhelmed by the goodness of Jesus, for some of you, your next step is to surrender your life to Him and be buried with Him and resurrected in baptism. And you can do that today. For some of you, you've done that, and somehow the glory has faded, and you're ready again to surrender to Jesus. Then do not you come meet me on this front row? Maybe your next step is to get involved in a Bible study or hook up with one of these small, but whatever your next step is, that's what God wants you to take. Because listen to me, I know life's not easy. Even Jesus got discouraged. But God wants you to not just survive. Some of you just surviving. God wants you to thrive. And if he can just give you a glimpse of his glory today and you'll respond to that, your life will be different. If today you need to respond, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing.